Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids' table. I started this podcast almost four years ago with the intent of just exposing myself and the people who listen to a variety of different ideas, people who have different backgrounds, people with different types of jobs, people of different races, of different generations, of different genders, of different religious backgrounds, of different entrepreneurial experiences. Because being an entrepreneur, it's not one thing. It's a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and that's why every single time I sit behind this microphone and do an interview, I never know what I'm going to get because it's always someone who's a little different. So if this is the first time you've ever listened to a show, thanks for tuning in. If you've been listening for almost the whole run of 400, almost 400 episodes, uh, I certainly appreciate that. Either way, if you like the show, go leave a review on iTunes. A new review on iTunes makes my whole day a lot better, and I could always use a better day. So today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about the generations. Now, I know that's a topic that is way overdone in the world. Everybody's talking about the baby boomers and the millennials. We rarely remember there is a generation in between them, which is Generation X, which is where I have resided all of my life. Although they didn't put a label on my generation until we were well into our 20s, at least the oldest of us. Whereas the millennials were told while they were in the crib, this is who you are and what you will do. And here's an iPhone. Uh, And then we have the new generation, Generation Z. They haven't come up with a better name for them yet. Is uh, just about uh, has just started graduating college, I believe, this year. So we now have the four generations in the workforce. And today I have the host of a great blog and podcast called The Confused Millennial. And uh, I think we're all confused, no matter what age we are. Anybody who thinks they have it all together, uh, I think they're lying or they're in store for a surprise. But uh, we have with us today uh, Rachel Ritlop, and she has been blogging for a couple of years. She started a podcast in 2018, and it is booming, and the millennials are tuning in to listen because, uh, I don't know, are they all confused or are they saying, I'm not confused, let's hear what the rest of them are dealing with. I'm pretty sure that they all know they're confused. I love what you said about that because I always say that I'm reclaiming the word confused. I think too often we look at it as a negative, but I look at it it to mean that we're asking questions and we're seeking to evolve. So anyone who's saying that they're not confused is just in denial, I think. That's right. It's like like when I talk to people who are professional speakers and they say, I've never bombed on the stage. I said, they're either lying or it's coming, I tell (laughs) you. Hey, Rachel Ritlop, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here, excited to talk about all of this fun stuff. Well, so why don't you tell everybody about what, what is your business? What are you doing as, as an entrepreneur? And then we'll get into this whole generational uh, topic. Yeah. So my business evolved. It started back in 2014. I had gone through a quarter life crisis after getting fired twice in under a month. And I knew then I could not go back to working for somebody. And so I looked at what my skills were and what was a problem I could solve in the world. And um, coming from a background in counseling, I was actually working as a substance abuse counselor. I wrote out a 200 plus page life skills curriculum originally. And I went around town, taught that to people, 
realized that wasn't really a sustainable business model after about a year because I was like driving an hour one way to teach an hour group, which was like 150 bucks and driving an hour back home. I was like, okay, this is turning out to be like $50 an hour. Can't make this happen. So I decided to move things digitally. Um, so I was going to brand myself as a digital business coach and career coach for millennials. And very quickly into that process, realized that that the coaching space wasn't necessarily for me. Um, there's just a lot of things in it that, I don't know, it just felt weird to me. So I was crying to my husband um, and I said, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I'm just another confused millennial that has no idea what's happening. And it was like a thunderbolt hit my body. I grabbed my laptop, saw the domain was available, um, published a, four blog posts, created a logo, had a working blog within two days. And that's where my business really ended up evolving to. So a lot of those same life skills curriculum things I used to teach are now on the blog, just more open source information. I do get to still work one-on-one with people doing blog consulting, um, but a large part of my income now comes from brand partnerships and really getting to create content and do storytelling through that lens. And it's been a lot of fun doing things like my way and just kind of following and letting the path unfold. So what was your background? What you said you got into substance abuse counseling, but, but how did that come about? What was, uh, what was your life goals when you were 16, which, you know, in your case, wasn't that long ago, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> what is the, what is the, the path? Yeah. So by the time I was 11, I had started four different companies. So I was very entrepreneurial as a kid. Um, but my dad was also an entrepreneur and my mom worked a nine to five and that caused some strain. My dad, company went under and I, my mom was be talking in one year, like always work for yourself. But then in the other year, she was like, make sure you have a 401k, make sure you have benefits, have a secure job. So by the time I was 16, I was actually on track to be a pharmacist. All my electives were biology and chemistry, really thought that was going to be where things were headed. Got into uh, the university of Florida and very quickly realized, um, I was not going to end up being a pharmacist. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I decided to switch my major to public relations, decided that wasn't what I wanted to do. Found myself back in the registrar's office and they're like, well, what do you want to change your major to? And just something hit me and it said psychology. And so as I was finishing my bachelor's degree, I found a letter from my 10-year-old self that said, when I grew up, I wanted to be a psychologist. And I was like, okay, I guess we're going to head down this path. And so I was doing an internship in law and I was doing an internship in substance abuse and I was having to decide between law school or graduate school. And at that point I took it as a sign, go to grad school, get your degree in counseling. And halfway through that, I knew something wasn't right. I like, I had started working very early in the field because I had done internships since I was 20 in it. And by the time I was halfway through my master's degree, I was earning $10,000 more than some of my coworkers that had been there for two years. So without even having my master's degree yet, I was like, well, where else do I go from here? Like, this isn't really like, um, there's not a lot of upward mobility in this field unless you want to become a clinical director, you want to own your own center. And I knew I didn't want to do those things. And so I decided that I was waking up sick every night from work-related nightmares, cold sweats. My phone would vibrate and I would think it was my boss at 3 a.m. And but felt like I didn't know where to go. So definitely getting fired was a big blessing. <laughs> so, so you got fired, which pushed you into the idea of starting your own thing. 
And you said that, you know, you started off by saying you were talking to your husband, trying to figure out what that thing is. What was that transition like? Yeah. So I had actually gotten fired twice in under a month because I'm very, very stubborn. I was going to say, boy, <laughs> um, that, that takes effort. Yeah. So I'm very stubborn. I uh, got fired. And the day I got fired from the first company, I knew I was going to be getting fired soon. So I had actually secured a new job earlier that day. And my first day at the new company, I tried quitting and they convinced me to stay, but then they fired me three days later, three weeks later. And so at that point, I had made a really good name for myself in my field. And I got another call for another job offer. And I was like, no, I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Like these companies are crazy. They're super unethical. Like I'm just out of this industry. I'm done. And so I took two months completely off from life, to be honest. I like lived the retired life. I had been waitressing all alongside my nine to five. I've been waitressing for about seven years. I looked at my emergency fund, said, okay, I feel comfortable pulling this amount of money. I just need time to regroup. I have been working or in school my entire life. I have saved up enough to just do some self-exploration and see what it is I actually want and what actually interests me. So two months of just reading for fun, going to the beach every day, taking care of my physical health. And then I started getting a little antsy and my then boyfriend, now husband was like, uh, so what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, um, not sure. He's like, well, let's write down what the characteristics of your dream job would be. And so that's what we did. Um, I said, number one, I want to be able to watch Ellen every day. Like that was a really big thing. Absolutely love her. She would just bring such like a light to my day. And number two, I wanted to be able to help people. And then we kind of narrowed down, well, how can you help people? And from there, the life skills program came to be. So what does your husband do? He's an entrepreneur too. So he, at the time, had a company, a reloadable prepaid card company for the addiction recovery space where he, uh, people could send their loved ones money and it was all very secure. There was no cash back. It would automatically get declined at liquor stores, pubs, uh, all that type of stuff. You could set any restriction basically on somebody's spending from curfew to blocking out. You can't go to this particular store, all that fun stuff. So he at the time was doing that. He sold that company and is now in the process of launching a new company, uh, which is in the very early stages, but essentially will allow you to exist. Uh, you become your own identity you, without getting chipped. Nobody's getting chipped, but mm -hmm. essentially you could go in, pay for goods and services by just looking into a camera. Fascinating. So mm -hmm. back to you. You've been doing this now for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Two questions. One is, what do you love about the life of being an entrepreneur? And two, how many episodes of Ellen have you missed in two years? <laughs> I love the freedom of being an entrepreneur. And so even though I might work seven days a week sometimes, it's my choice to work seven days a week. And it's my choice to, you know, if it's a 14-hour day, it's because that 14 day was lighting me up and fueling me. And I didn't realize that I had clocked that many hours in the day. Um, and if I choose to, you know, go to the beach on a Wednesday, because I really just need to refill and recharge and take care of myself. I, that's a, that's a possibility. That's an option. So just having that freedom to really follow what it is I feel called to do has been amazing in getting to help and connect with people in such a real way. Um, where I get the messages and people say like how much their blog helped them in their career transitions or with their relationships. There's really no better feeling than that. 
Um, and how many episodes of Alan have I missed? I would say I probably only missed like 20 in four years. That's what I think. That that sounded about right. <laughs> hey, so talking about millennials and business and life and your 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 moniker of the confused millennial, mm-hmm. let's take this to entrepreneurship. Why why are millennials confused about their careers? I think that a lot of millennials get confused about their careers because they aren't necessarily doing what it is they're meant to do. So it's a couple different things. I don't think there's a simple answer for this. I think a lot of them go into a job and they might be really excited about that job and their passion outweighs their experience. So in meetings, they're told no, they're told to be quiet. And so they end up losing their passion for their job because they feel rejected. Um, I think that's one side of it. The other side of it is, I think there's so many careers that didn't exist even five years ago where there's really limitless possibilities. So they end up in jobs that were already existing, already out there, but they have this itching feeling like there's something more. I'm not using my gifts in the full way I could be using it. And so they end up feeling confused or empty because they haven't really given themselves that chance to explore what other possibilities exist for their degree. Like I thought I had a psychology degree and that was it. Like there was nothing else I could do than other than be a therapist. Um, and then I got some time to explore and it was like, oh, okay, there's other ways that I can use this. So, I have this theory that the generational stuff is overplayed. I think we've been sold a bill of goods that we're so different. I think if you go back throughout human history, the the older generations have always put down the younger generations. Uh, the younger generations always think they know more and that they've got it all figured out or, or that they have something special that makes them different and more superior. I think, yeah, there are some differences. We grew up with different technology. We have different world events that, that shape our our uh, collective mind, if you will. But I think that we spend a lot of time focusing on this little minute difference. And instead, I think the generations are, are very similar. So, you know, one of the things that I hear from the, the younger people, and I spend a lot of time speaking at young professionals groups for associations and for companies, is uh, the, the term FOMO. And mm-hmm. I think we always had fear of missing out. I think that was always there. The difference was, is it wasn't always being put forth in front of us by social media. So do you think that Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube and all of these things, do you think that they're an advantage or a disadvantage? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I think they're both, to be honest. I don't think it's black and white. I think that... I think that we are more similar as generations, uh, like you said, than the media likes to make us out to be. I think that a lot of the struggles that you had um, and other people have had along much more before me, they've been confused too. They've wanted to find their own path. The difference, like you said, is that social media puts it on blast, which is why the American Psychological Association for the last, I think, two or three or four years even now has continuously rated millennials as the most stressed out generation that's alive right now. And I do think that is largely because of social media. It amplifies the FOMO effect. You you know, back in your Gen X days and baby boomer days, it was keeping up with the Joneses. Today, it's keeping up with Kardashians. And we all know you can't go up to a grocery store without seeing a Kardashian, whereas maybe you didn't have to see the Joneses every day. Well, the Joneses lived next door. So the the keeping up thing was was more of a, of a, of a regional local thing of people you sort of knew. I mean, obviously, we saw the Hollywood people. But now it's like everybody looks like they're, they're, they're having some somehow more fun. I read an, uh, an article in the Harvard Business Review last year 
that was written by the former uh, Surgeon General of the United States, and it said that we're in an epidemic of loneliness. And it didn't just focus on the millennials, but it said that that was a, a big part of it, was that because of all of this uh, technology, people aren't feeling more connected. They're feeling more disconnected. And so I've been asking mm -hmm. audiences, I speak about 70 times a year, I've been asking audiences for the last year, how many of you feel, and this doesn't, I, I kind of gear it towards people who've been in the workforce 10 years, so it sort of takes to the, the older millennials or the, the Gen Xers and the baby boomers, how many of you feel 10 years into all of this smartphones and everything that's come with it, how many of you feel you have more friends? And I, I caveat that with, I mean, you don't have plans for Thanksgiving and they invite you to their home, that level of friend. How many people feel after 10 years of this, you have more close friends than you did a decade ago? And I'll be honest, I can have rooms of 800 or 1,000 plus people. Almost never does a hand go up. Every now and then there's an outlier and that's great. That's what the world is about. There's always outliers. But most people are like, yeah, I don't have more close friends. And then I ask it from the business standpoint, how many people feel that because of all this, you have more opportunities in your career, I mean, that are really coming at you? And again, very few hands go up. And, you know, so what's interesting is, is that those of us who didn't live with the social media have seen this influx and this change. And then 10 years later saying, wow, the results aren't really what we were told they were going to be. And yet the people who've grown up with it don't know any different. So I think it causes this, this sort of swirl of why is, what do you mean it's not working? I, I don't know any other option. Yeah, I agree with that. But I also think it has to do with how active of a role you play in social media. So if all you're doing is scrolling and, you know, you're being heuristic, if you will, and your use of the platform, you're going to feel lonely. You're going to feel disconnected, especially if you're hanging out on social media platforms where all you see is people being angry and coming at each other with their differences of opinions and things like that. You know, one of my favorite social media features is the fact that you can mute people. Like I constantly... If I see something negative on my feed, I'm muting it. I just don't want to do it. And, and I'm not even talking about extreme political stuff. I'm just talking about people that are just complaining, um, that constantly complain. Now, if you show up and you are actually focused on building real genuine friendships and relationships and like actually creating a community, I've made some of my best friends that I have met and flown across the country. We have stayed at each other's houses. Like the first time I've ever met them, like I'm staying at their house because we've been friends online for so many years. But I think, I think you're the outlier. I talked to a lot of people about this. And yes, there are people who have done that. I talked to somebody who, who wrote a best-selling book, never met the author in person until their book signing. Uh, they used all social media tools and email and everything else to, to do everything. And they were able to do it all virtually. And mm -hmm. there are people who say, oh, I met so-and-so. And I mean, same thing is true with, with uh, online dating. Right. There are there are people out there who have had a whole relationship and shown up and gotten married. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but that's not that's not the norm. And yet I think people are expecting that to be the norm. And I think that's what causes a lot of the, this problem is they're expecting, oh, you know, I've been engaged with these people. Why aren't they inviting me to Christmas? Yeah, I agree with that and things like that. But I also think that we've gotten into this place, too, where we think we constantly need to be invited rather than advocating for ourselves, which is what I think we're seeing starting to happen with Gen Z. That's really, really cool because I do think millennials have kind of gotten caught between the Gen X, which is wait for, you know, polite things to do, which is somebody's inviting you here or, you know, you have those like very this is how social interactions are supposed to go. You're supposed to get up. You're supposed to shake somebody's hand. You're supposed to do these different things. 
Whereas the people that are really growing up with it, and I don't look at millennials as having truly grown up with technology because I didn't get my first iPhone until I was graduating high school. I didn't have my first cell phone until after 9-11 and had that not happened, I wouldn't have had my first cell phone. Um, I think that it ends up changing a lot of things when you really did grow up with it and just knowing that you have a voice and that that voice can be used when you feel called to use it. So I think that this is going to be a big shift where people are saying, hey, I don't have anywhere to say, where can I say? And I've seen that happen on my feeds before where people are saying, I don't have family. Does anyone have extra room for Thanksgiving for somebody? And you have to put it out there and you are going to feel lonely if you're just sitting there and not letting people know that you're feeling isolated. That's our own responsibility as human beings that to make a change for ourselves, to advocate for ourselves. So let's take this back to business. How how do millennials advocate for themselves in business? If they're in a nine to five, I found that a lot of them end up not advocating for themselves, which is why they end up so stressed out and empty and unhappy. Um, I think that a lot of the times I see them advocating for themselves in business by doing things that actually set their souls on fire um, and lighting them up. They're following those quirky, unusual paths. I can't tell you how many holistic uh, businesses I've seen popping up recently because not because it's necessarily cool or trendy. It's actually kind of not cool or trendy to be talking about like, oh, I'm working with a psychic. Oh, I'm working with a shaman. Like that's kind of a taboo thing still. But I see so many people doing it because they're excited about it. So I think that people are just getting more comfortable and knowing that I'm going to do something that might be a little bit weird. It might be a little bit unconventional, but because of the internet, I can end up finding people that are going to be supportive of it, despite the fact that maybe my family and the people all around me might think I'm crazy. So what advice do you have then for someone who wants to start their own business and go off on their own? Uh, I would say definitely be very clear on why you want to do it. You know, motivation has a half-life. If you aren't sure why you are lighting this fire up inside of you and what's going to propel you forward, um, you probably are going to burn out pretty quickly. So get super clear on what is going to carry you through. I always say that I like to have a mission statement for our life. Like what's the mission statement of your life? And then go ahead and figure out what's the mission statement for a business and go ahead and figure out how you can really translate that into your decision-making process, into your goal-setting process, because that's going to be what carries you through. Because I'm sure, as you know... (laughs) Everything will come up under the sun as an entrepreneur, and you don't want to continue forward some days. Oh, I mean, I've been working for myself for nine and a half years, and I've had you know the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in in doing this. And it's you know just when you think you've made it, you get thrown a thrown a curve on the other mm-hmm. side. So, but here's a question that I ask everybody now who comes on the show, and that is. I mean, a lot of people start a business and and it has real potential and they get really excited about the potential, but -hmm. but potential does not equal results. And this is a problem that I see with a lot of people is they're getting, they're starting businesses and they're getting very focused on their potential. Oh, they have, you know, this different age and the internet and all this. And at the end of the day, they can't pay their bills. They're not you know, reaching the possible results that they need, you know, at the end of the day, a business has to make money. I mean, you can only go so far and, you know, it's nice when you're young to, 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 you know, live poor, uh, and, and, you know, five people to a house, but you know, when you're 30 and married with two kids, uh, that gets a little bit different. And so what is the, uh, what do you think is the Delta? What do you think is the change between people who have potential and never reach it and people who get farther across that gap and have huge results? 
honest self-awareness without a doubt, because I've seen that happen too with other entrepreneurs. I know that are living with kids and just not making an income for me, my first year in business for myself, I matched my nine to five salary. And since then it has always continuously grown. If things were not working and things were not going up, I would have said, okay, well, what do I need to do to fix this? And how do I need to change it? If things aren't working, there's no reason to live in denial because you're just going to cause yourself more pain down the road. You have to, as an entrepreneur, be taking an honest inventory of everything you're doing every single day. If you have employees, how is your attitude impacting them? At the end of the day, if you have employees, you are supposed to be this beam of positivity and light for them because you're setting the tone for the work environment and you're setting the tone for how they're going to deal with your clients and customers. That's a trickle down effect that will actually cause good things. If you're a solopreneur, when you have different blocks, different fears, different things that are holding you back, you know, customers, clients, readers, audiences, communities that you're trying to build will pick that up. And there's 20 other guys, probably 20,000 other guys in line behind you willing to take your space. So unless you can authentically show up, and I think it goes back to that mission statement, filtering your decisions, unless you can show up and really be authentic and really talk about why it's not just about potential. It's about hard work. It's about determination. It's about removing blocks of fear. It's about actually providing quality over quantity, you're going to probably end up running out of runway at some point. Well, I mean, it happens to a lot of people. And then that's, mm-hmm. that I think adds to this whole, you know, stress of, you know, wh- how come other people make it and I don't. And I think, again, I think that we're living with a lot of stuff online where people only put the great things forward. I mean, nobody mm-hmm. ever, you know, I, I posted something that, that I had gone through sort of a, a sales slump and people were like, you can't post that. You know, there were people who were like, oh, you can't talk about not having a great thing or people won't want to book you. And the opposite actually happened. Yeah, and that was what I was, was so going to say, that's the, probably one of the best things you could have done for yourself. Right. The authenticity of, hey, you know, you, 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 you're going to have ups and downs in whatever it is that you do. But there is sort of this mentality that, you know, everybody wants to post that only Kardashian style uh, selfie. Right. And I think that's such an unfortunate mindset that so many people are in because at the end of the day, we're all confused about something. We've all been struggling with something. We're working through things. If we are confused, it means we're evolving. It means we're asking questions. And so why wouldn't you want to show that relatable side of you? You know, nobody wants to hire somebody that they feel is on such a high pedestal that they wouldn't be able to be authentic and real and like have an actual conversation with them if you're doing things like coaching and speaking and things like that. Obviously, if you have more of like a brick and mortar, you're selling goods and services, you want to always have a quality product and you might not want to say, oh, hey, we had to recall this. But if you are your business, um, it really, I think, just goes a long way when you can be a real human and like show, hey, you know what? We messed up. And I think that's even people that sell goods and services. We've seen such a struggle um, with a lot of them falling, you know, the head guys falling down because they don't take ownership when they make a mistake. They try to scapegoat, they try to deny, they try to band-aid it. And consumers are getting smarter and smarter every day. And if you can just take responsibility, provide a solid, clear plan of action forward and show how you're working through with it, I think that goes a long way for building the like no trust factor today. So I've got a few more questions for you. But first, (laughs) I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. 
Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Rachel. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Rachel, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing with your company right now? Probably getting the podcast off the ground and launching that. It launched, you know, only a few months ago, which has been a really exciting, a big transition. Um, I have been blogging for two years and the blog has done amazing, especially being a lifestyle blog where we talk about all things from your career and entrepreneurship to your home to relationships. It has done really, really well. But this just gets to feel so much more personal. This gets to just really elevate things. So I'm super excited about that right now. So are you doing an interview style show? Is it just you? Tell us about the podcast. Yeah, it's both. So uh, generally, it's every other week we do. Uh, my husband and I do it together where it's just us talking and just about the struggles, our advice, what's working, what's not working. And then on the other week, it's an interview style. That way we get to kind of just really make it well-rounded. Sometimes we go deeper into the blog posts because I do tend to write like 2,000 plus word blog posts. So we'll start off with that on the weeks that my husband and I are doing it, like a 10-minute read of the blog post. And then we just go really deep into what led to that experience beyond it. Awesome. So I love it. Back up. How do people find it? Uh, You can search The Confused Millennial on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all those good things. Awesome. So I love to ask people who come on the show who it is they admire. Because, Rachel, we could talk about you and the confused mm-hmm. millennial all day long. However, I really think that great entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. I think they're always watching. So who do you mm-hmm. look at and say, wow, she or he, wow, they're crushing it? Yeah, so it's a couple of people. Definitely always look at my husband because he's the one that pushed me down the entrepreneurial road. Um, and he's such an out-of-the-box thinker that it's always really inspiring to see what he's up to. As far as like in my lane of business, uh, the Skinny Confidential fascinates me. Lauren Everts, she, her ability to feed her audience across a multitude of platforms is literally like watching a chess game or like a ballet dance. It's fascinating how she just gets people off of Instagram and actually onto her podcast, onto her blog, onto shopping. It's just like, wow. Um, so somebody in my lane that, and then obviously just doing good in the world, Ellen DeGeneres, because I love watching how much she gives back to both people, but also taking care of our animals and taking care of our planet. Which leads me to the last question. And that is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Cause I think as successful entrepreneurs, I think we have to do more than just make money. I think we should leave a mark. Yeah. So I used to do more, um, than I'm currently doing right now. I'm kind of in a life transition. So I had to cut back on how much I could physically give my time. I used to actually speak to uh, the public schools in my area about substance abuse and mental health, making sure, talking about social media, talking about substances, talking about all of that fun stuff to fifth graders through college students. Um, Today, I focus a lot more on just those daily small things that we can all do. So making sure that I'm making conscious choices with the environment. So switching, trying to get rid of as much plastic in our house, switching from plastic to glass, reusable water bottles, reusable bags, all that fun stuff. And I try to always just give back uh, whenever I see anybody in need or needing help. That's always I keep my eyes open and ears open and willing to give my time on like 
that one-on-one basis. So whether it's, I see somebody crying while walking down the street or somebody posts something in a Facebook group asking for help. I try to always answer those questions and just keep my eyes open. Awesome. Well, keeping your eyes open is half the battle. And I think we live in a world where too many people are heads down. Uh, I tweet a lot on, on the hashtag see people because uh, I think it's something that we don't do in our society. We, we talk a good game. We talk about caring, uh, but people tend to not even notice the people around them. I, I talk to baristas uh, at Starbucks all the time, and I, I've started a thing that I do, and that is just when I say thank you for my coffee, I look at them, and my own little internal trigger is I ask myself what color eyes do they have so that mm-hmm. I have to make that moment of eye contact. Mm-hmm. And many of them will say, oh, thank you. They say other people say thank you, but nobody ever sees me. And it's interesting because I'm not making a big deal of it. I'm just making sure I'm, I'm thinking brown eyes. But they don't know I'm thinking that. They just know that I have taken some sort of a recognition to them. And I think from that article I quoted earlier about the, the epidemic of loneliness from the Harvard Business Review last fall, it, it's something that has really, really uh, resonated with me that there are people out there, even extroverts and people who are the life of the party, who really feel alone And you never have any idea what's going on in somebody's head. So I I challenge everybody to do just what you said, and that is see people. Mm -hmm. Totally. And as a former Starbucks barista, I can tell you that goes a long way. In a waitress of seven years, people tend to not see you in the service industry. Yeah. No, I think, and I think it's true, not just in the service industry. I see it, you know, all the time. Everywhere, yeah. People have conversations and they're just not seeing the people who are sitting Mm -hmm. across from them. So, Mm -hmm. well, Rachel, thank you so much for coming and sharing with the audience on cool things entrepreneurs do. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. If you guys like this episode and you guys share it, make sure to tag me on Instagram at the Confused Millennial. I'd love to connect with you guys further. So if people want to find you, how do they how do they do that? Uh, website, theconfusedmillennial.com. It has all the links for how you can find the podcast it's on there too. Um, and then Instagram's the Confused Millennial. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. And I say it every episode, thank you to the audience. If it wasn't for y'all, we wouldn't have a podcast. And I like having the podcast. So uh, if you like the show, reach out. Let me know that you listened to it. Let me know what you thought of of any of the guests that you've heard. Uh, As I said at the beginning, go ahead and leave a review on iTunes. If you want to find out more about me, you just go to TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. And uh, I'm on all the social medias by the same thing. We also have Twitter at CoolPodcast. And uh, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Rachel. Uh, But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you. Go out and see people. Look someone in the eye. Phones down. Eyes up. Have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.